This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Ivan Schlepperbersky aided and abetted a so-called terrorist during the apartheid years. He allowed a certain front into his home for safekeeping, and he did so at one of the most difficult times for dissenters and at great personal risk. He is one of the mentors in Jonathan Anser's new book, Mentors in the Trenches, that documents the little-known stories of Jewish foot soldiers whose role in bringing down the apartheid regime was crucial. Ivan joins me now to tell me more. Ivan, can you tell me why you became involved in the struggle? Well, I've just come back from living in Canada for about where I lived for eight years. And uh, that very equal society. And um, apartheid kind of, it was something that was just so unnecessary. So you returned to South Africa. What happened? It was 1985. Am I correct? I was brought up in a household which was very racially uh, aware because my father's whole family, some 69 souls, perished in the Holocaust. Racial issues were always at the forefront. What were you asked to do, Ivan? I had a phone call uh, one day from a, an old friend, uh, Judith Harden, who wanted to uh, come and speak to me. And um, I said to her, well, speak, you know, I'm listening. And uh, she said, no, 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 I have to come and see you. So I said, okay. She lived down the road, actually. So she came to see me. She came to visit the next day. And um, she confided in me that she was very much involved in the struggle at that time. There was a lot of activity in in the mid-80s. And uh, she was helping ANC people who were running away from the special branch, was giving them accommodation in her house. But she was now full with people and she needed some help. And she asked me if I would agree to, was looking for shelter from the special branch. She didn't tell me who it was, but she said it was quite serious because the man was banned and the special branch, the security police were looking for him. And at that time, I had a spare bedroom in my house because um, my son was studying in Canada. And um, the request surprised me, but I immediately thought of the Holocaust. And uh, I mean, the Holocaust was, is something I think of every day of my life. And um, I agreed. I said, OK, yeah, bring him on. So what happened? You had to keep, you actually didn't know who he was. His identity was kept away from you, which was probably safer for the both of you. What was it like and what did he do? Did he just slip in easily? What was he like? The next evening he arrived. This was a fairly young man, soft-spoken, very modest, very friendly, hard to imagine him as being a terrorist. And uh, he told me his name was Franz, which I knew it wasn't because of protection for him and protection for me. And he came with a little suitcase and moved in. We, from that time onwards, we got along really well together. Uh, I used to go to work in the morning and he used to, to spend most of the time in his room because he was writing a thesis. And um, I think for a, for a doctorate or something like that, he was very studious. He used to spend most of his time uh, in the room writing his dissertation. 
But we had a problem. He was afraid that my maid, uh, Lizzie, might disclose him to somebody, and then the security police might find out about it. So I spoke to Lizzie, and I explained to her that uh, Franz was a man from Eastern Cape, and he'd come to Johannesburg to finish his studies, and he needed to uh, be secluded and have a quiet place to do his work, and that's why I've given him accommodation. You knew that the security police were monitoring your phones, etc. So you had to take extra precautions in terms of dialing out. Just what was life like living then? Not very much. I used to cook for him. At that time, I was vegetarian. And I used to cook vegetarian dishes, which he loved. And uh, I, I never saw him for the whole day. I only saw him in the evening when I came home. And then we used to have dinner. And we used to go for long walks in the suburb at night. And we used to talk about things, but never politics. I don't know why, but he, he, he didn't talk about politics. He had, uh, I discovered afterwards, he had been in Canada himself. The security police had tried to poison him. Ivan, how did you discover his identity? He shared a bathroom with my son, Paul. And um, one day, my son, Paul, came to me and said, I've, I've discovered who Franz is. I said, really? He said, yeah. And he showed me a, a medicine bottle with his name on it from a pharmacy in Canada. And the name was Frank Chicani. We carried on the facade of France and Ivan. But he was appointed um, as Secretary General of the South African Council of Churches, which gave him some kind of blanket immunity. Or what happened? Well, that's kind of at the end of the story. But what I'd like to tell you about before that is that um, we took very special precautions because I knew my phone was being tapped. It was very crudely obvious every time somebody. He called me, I would hear it, and you could hear somebody that was there at the other, other end. In fact, you could hear voices in the background. So we had some house rules that uh, would protect him, and that was that he was never allowed to use the phone. If he wanted to make a phone call, he went to the Oakland shopping center where there was a public phone, and that's what he used. Also, if he had any visitors, I insisted that they come at night and uh, that they park at least two blocks away from the house and walk. And that's what they did. Do you have any relationship with him at the moment? Or did you have a relationship with him afterwards? No, I didn't. You know, uh, you asked about the South African Council of Churches. One day I came home from work and there was, there was Frank sitting there with a big smile on his face. I said, well, you know, what's happened? He said, no, he's just been appointed uh, secretary of the South African Council of Churches. Uh, he was replacing, I think it was Bayes Nordia. As a result of that, he said, he didn't require protection because the special branch, well, holding that position, gave him a kind of immunity from the special branch. They wouldn't, they wouldn't harass him once he was secretary of the South African Council of Churches. So that's when he left. He left my house the next day, and um, I didn't see him after that. And I didn't hear from him for a long time. Some 20 years later, I got an invitation to attend a, uh, this was long after democracy, to attend a function, uh, my wife and I to attend a function in Soweto, celebrating his life. It was a strange, <laughs> strange kind of function. 
But I went to, we went along and we were sitting in the front row. And then I realized the purpose of the function was to thank people who had helped him uh, in the struggle. But that was the first time I heard from him after he left my house. Incredible. And today, obviously, there's no contact between the two of you. No, nothing at all. Well, he became in the presidency for Tabo and Becky. And, um, you know, occasionally I would get a phone call from him, but it would only be um, if he wanted to know something to do with architectural rules and regulations because he was doing some renovation to his house. But uh, I never heard from him then. Ivan, um, so we, we forgot to mention that you were an architect. And in fact, the chapter in the book is called The Archaeologist and the Architect. Of course, you being the architect. And uh, Jonathan Anse has entitled the book uh, Ivan the Terrific. Uh, Ivan, knowing everything you know now, would you still yes. do what you did again? Absolutely. Uh, I never regretted it for a, for a moment. And uh, it was just the right thing to do. You know, it's one of the things in my life that I feel very good about, you know. But and, and also there were others who came after him, but they didn't stay as long as him. He, he, Frank stayed with me for nearly six months, but the others who came just spent a few days. They were on their way from one part of the country to another. But as I said, we took precautions, you know. One of the things that I did was to put a stepladder in the corner of our garden so that if the special branch raided, uh, he could escape over the wall because we lived on a corner and the entrance was in one street and the exit would have been in another street. So he could easily have escaped if, uh, if they came for him. Frank was, I think he was chairman of the UDF at that time, the Transvaal chapter of the UDF. So they used to hold meetings in my house every two weeks. And uh, one of the things I did was to insist the meetings start at no earlier than 10 o'clock at night, because I knew the special branch wouldn't be sitting around waiting there at 10 o'clock at night. They'd be in bed already. So that's what they did. They started the meetings at 10 o'clock at night. And uh, the committee came to the meeting uh, there were four of them. There was uh, Murphy Morabi, Eric Morabi, uh, a very, very wonderful guy, uh, and Vali Musa and Frank. Those were the four. So I would put out uh, some coffee and biscuits and go to bed, and they held their meeting till something like two or three o'clock in the morning, and then they'd leave. Incredible, incredible stories. And we haven't even got to the fact that you are a sports person for Maccabi and uh, still, uh, until I think, if not still, very recently represent South Africa at Maccabi. Yes, yes. But Ivan, that's all we have time for. But I think you've kind of summarized your story beautifully. And of course, it's told in Jonathan Anser's new book, Mentures in the Trenches. So just to say thank you so much for joining me. Okay, Cherise. That was Ivan Schlepperberski who is one of the mentors in the book, Mentors in the Trenches. Over the next few weeks, I'll be interviewing a lot more.